0: This is the England Rugby Game Developers Podcast. The Game Developers Podcast series is here to support the England Rugby developer workforce with our training course delivery to referees, coaches and volunteers. In this series, we'll have in-depth discussions about topics related to our training courses that we hope in turn will have a positive impact on your delivery. I'm David Fraser, Training and Workforce Development Manager at England Rugby. In this episode of the Game Developers Podcast, I talk to Dr. Ethan Honory from Skills Converged. Ethan is an expert in training course design and delivery, and we focus this conversation on how we can grab the attention of the learners in front of us, explore tips for generating energy, and consider how we maximise the opportunities for learning on courses. During the conversation, you'll hear Ethan mention his website, skillsconverged.com, and there is a link to it in the podcast information. We hope you enjoy this conversation. Uh, Dr. Ethan Ollery is the founder of Skills Converged, which specializes in designing soft skills training materials. He's a training consultant, an author, and a course designer. He's the author of several books, including Train the Trainer, The Art of Training Delivery, and Course Design Strategy, The Art of Making People Learn. There's much overlap with Ethan's messaging and how we have designed our England rugby training courses and lots to learn about how we as course designers and tutors can be more effective in how we support coaches, referees, and other volunteers to learn. I'm delighted that Ethan has joined us today, and we're going to focus this conversation on how we gain attention and create energy with learners on course. Uh, Ethan, welcome
1: well thank you for having me thank you <laughs> uh,
0: so i'd like to start the conversation by asking how you grab the attention of learners on a training course and make sure that leads to learning taking place
1: yes um this uh i would say is like probably the primary question when it comes to training course design yeah. and delivery um it's it's fascinating to me because as you know if we can't grab the attention um of the learners and keep them engaged we don't have much of a Chance to you know teach and keep them going with the rest of the rest of the content. And in fact, um, it's it's such an important question. A few years ago, I went to the Learning and Technologies Conference in Excel Centre in London, and they have a whole bunch of um, variety of um, talks going on at the same time, 20 or so. And I was just basically sampling around different topics, and I noticed that one of them basically had a title saying that we're going to be talking about engagement um, and how to boost it. And I noticed that the whole, the whole class basically was, or the, the room was full of people, three rows of you know people standing behind, and they were all eager to see what this presenter is gonna say. And unfortunately in that particular situation, um, the, the presenter only touched on the topic and then moved on to sell whatever software or solution they had. But it did show me that there's a huge interest in getting engagement going, especially today, when we have the instructor-led courses and also online courses, I see all the time that especially with online, engagement is becomes even more important because people can get distracted quite easily and everything. And so we need to, as if like we need to work on it more and more. So to me, when I think about um, attention and engagement, it's... It's almost like the analogy I use is um, is like the advertisement industry. We want to grab the attention of people. We want to get them engaged, but not just for the sake of grabbing attention alone. That's not the target. It's not. It's not. It's like an advertisement industry. We can flash some colors or whatever. We can use a red color, moving target or whatever, and then we can grab the attention. But that's not enough. We need to convert. And so in the learning. Uh, industry, I see the same thing. What we want to do is to grab the attention of the learners, but also at the end of the day, it needs to convert. And the conversion means they need to learn as much as possible in a given time. And also we want to maximize that learning over an extended period of time. We want to maximize retention of that learning. So all of this goes together in my view. And whatever technique we're going to use for attention should not just be to entertain the crowd in a sense. We want to entertain them a little bit, but one more move on to the educational side.
0: So how do we go about convincing them, the people that we've got in the room that it's critical for them to learn and use the topic that topic. we're discussing with
1: them? Yeah. That, yes. So so the techniques we can use, um, so when it comes to, um, so you, you need to grab them in. Um, so there are two sets of techniques that we can go about. One set it would be to grab attention Uh, So this could be strategies like make the content interesting, um, make them curious, make them uh, want to know more and explain why they need to learn it. And also on the other side, a set of other strategies would be to sort of minimize attention going away. So it could be minimizing distractions, uh, removing obstacles to learning, um, addressing temptations, whatever that might be. So these are the two sets. And I always think when it comes to engagement is not the one thing we can do to say we're going to convince you to learn or we're going to you know we're going to keep you engaged it's a set of tools we need to apply and then as we apply these tools eventually engagement will take care of itself it's it's, it's a kind of funny thing it's like we're not directly going after engagement we do all our, our we use the tools in our toolbox and eventually engagement happens. Um, and that's what I find is quite fascinating. So for the beginning of a session or a course, when it comes to, for example, trying to convince them, um, I have thought about this a lot because it happens uh, quite frequently. You might have a book, um, an online course, um, instructor course, whatever that might be. At the beginning of any of these events, you need to sort of like grab people's attention and bring them in. And I feel that you can go through a sort of like a structured sequence, um, step by step to go through. And I call this sequence Establish the Need. I thought about it, researched it, and it's, it's one thing that I've been using our training materials all the time. Um, and this particular five-step technique is something you can apply to any of these scenarios. And once you go through it, then you know that you're, you have the foundation sorted and you, you grab people in and now you can carry on. So I can walk through that if you want.
0: Yeah, that would be great. Yeah,
1: thank you. Sure. Sure. So the five steps would be, um, so I'll I, I just go through the, the tags just to help memorizing them. Uh, the first step would be purpose. Then you follow with objective, then experience, process, and application. And so I'll explain how these things are in general. Um, so the idea is that at the beginning, you want to sort of like explain why they need to learn a content. Um, why is this important? Without Adults need to know why they need to commit uh, to any kind of activity. Um, they are very time conscious. They are sort of like uh, sensitive to what sort of subjects they want to spend their energy and focus on. So we need to convince them why they need to learn this topic. And that's a primary um, uh, thing to do. Beyond that, is about putting everything else in there to make them interested in it so we could raise the, the the increase increase curiosity, raise their interest in the topic, try to see how it would relate to them um just just make them fascinated with the topic so that would be the purpose of the activity so we, we cover that. then the next one that follows is called objective. And that's usually in any of these training sessions you probably are familiar. We have um, sort of like a formal objective we go through. Now this doesn't have to be crazy. Some people just go full on about <laughs> expressing objectives. I don't think that's uh, that's something we need to we need to just just go crazy about. Um, what we need to do is just to have some sort of like a contract between us and the learner. And the more formal the training, the more precise you need to be about this objective only because then you're gonna test them later on and they need to know what they're gonna be tested on. So once you've shared that, then you move on to the next step, which is experience. Now experience is something like this, that you go and ask the room like a relay format uh, one by one. So all all of the learners need to be engaged and you want to get them to express um, their experience in that particular topic. You have shared with them what you know, uh, what you're going to be talking about and you want to find out what they know about this and by knowing what they know you can then plan the next steps and um, this is crucial because once we know what they know we can move to the next step which is process we can now tell them what's going to happen in the training course so we already had some sort of a pre-designed material a set of content we are going to cover, but we should never rigidly follow it. We should always say, okay, this is the kind of content I have as an um, as an overall set of content, but I have to see how I'm going to adapt it to what the, the students want. And I will only know that if I know what experience they've got and what they need. So the experience stage is about asking them, what do you know? What do you want, in a sense? And once they have told us that, we can now adapt our course material or whatever we were going to teach in, this, in the process step, which is the fourth step, based on their demands and their needs and whatever it is. So that makes it very dynamic. And once we have covered all of that, we can then finalize this five-step sequence by application. And that's, again, going around the room, asking every learner, say, now that I have covered all of this, now that I told you what we're going to do in this course, and you told us what you know what you want, how is this going to relate to your needs? Are you happy with this content? And and they can express it in their own words. Yes, so and so is going to be useful for me. I really want to learn this stuff and everything. So I would always feel that by the end of the establish the need sequence, you really have got people committed to the learning. They know what's coming. They know that they have been heard. So we sort of know what what where they are, what they want, collectively as a class. And now that you move on to the next main part of the content, the, you, you take them with you uh, and leave them behind. Right. Thanks for that. You mentioned earlier uh, curiosity. Right.
0: Have you got any tips for how you can increase curiosity in the topic that you're about to teach?
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, curiosity, the way I look at it is like, um, we need to see what curiosity as, as a nature, uh, that the topic is. Um, always think of it like this, that we are in one place, we have a set of information. So the learner knows a certain amount of stuff. And the expert knows a lot more. Um, so they're well beyond there. And the learner is not aware of this kind of content. So there's a gap between the two. There's this sort of like a missing information. And what we want to do is to sort of tease them. We want to get them to become more interested in this other domain. And then once they become interested, we can sort of like take them there. Now, this is critical. When people are not aware of an area, um, they may not even automatically become interested in it because they don't understand the challenges. It's The famous thing is that if there is no challenge, um, you, there's, no, there's no meaning in, in trying to go through a challenge when you're not aware of that particular domain. So you need to bridge that gap. And the way that we bridge that gap is by what we call, for example, uh, adding a priming dose. Um, a bit of information, something, to grab them over to the other side. Now, this could be like giving them a taste. This could be sharing a story with them. It could be turning, t- t- telling them a personal story of some kind. Um, you could be sharing innovation, technology, new techniques, new anything in the fields that might make them interested. So this then goes back to you. And um, one of the things you could do, for example, is um, share a dilemma. Um, choose two really close options that are very difficult to choose between and then throw that to the class and get a discussion going uh, which is better and which is not usually if you select something that is you know (laughs) neither of the options is the correct answer it gets everybody excited and everybody's going to talk forever about it and then you make them curious about the topic and now you can guide that you see it goes back to that original thing again so we want to grab the attention you want to make them curious but it needs to lead to something the learning is always what we want at the end of the day. So if it's just, you know, holding hold the air, it's not going to go anywhere.
0: Right. And I've read in your work uh, about the use of stories and how they can help in establishing the need for learning. Can you, can what? you talk a little bit more about that, please?
1: Sure. Yeah. Storytelling again is, um, it's, 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 if you're good at the storytelling by all means, go ahead <laughs> and do it all yeah. the time because because people can relate to stories quite well, um, and we, we, are, we are all familiar with it. As soon as you're in a class and you have a teacher, and the teacher comes in, I'm going to tell you a story. You immediately are going to listen because you you're sort of like being told you're not going. To, this is not going to be boring, dry content. You know, I'm going to entertain you, and everybody's interested in that. But as long as it obviously leads to somewhere, now stories, if they're related to the topic, they could be obviously quite powerful. Um, but sometimes they don't even have to be. It's, storytelling is very closely related to increasing curiosity, I would say. Um, so because they go hand in hand, you, you're sort of like creating a question in the minds. And then you want to lead that question to the actual topic that you have in mind. Um, and sometimes I feel that people use you can use all sort of innovative stuff. It doesn't even have to be... Um, it doesn't have to be straightforward storytelling. Um, I heard once, for example, J.J. Abrams, a uh, famous director, he made uh, Cloverfield. He had a TED talk, um, and he came to the to the to give the presentation, and he brought with him a cardboard box uh, with a question mark with a you know marker pen kind of drawn on it, and he put it on the stage, and he and I, and then everybody was just looking at this and trying to figure out what's going on. And then he started telling a story about it. And the story was that he went to his grandfather, and he was cleaning up the attic, and then he went through the whole thing. And then he had those tons of boxes, but there was this also this one box, and he decided that he was not going to open this one last box. And so he never opened it, and then he just drew a question mark on it. And to this day, he still doesn't know what's in it. And then he could see by now, the whole crowd is like, oh, open it, open it, we just want to know what's in it. And he could shake it and he would rattle inside and you could clearly know it's a beaten up box of some kind. <laughs> but, but, and then he was just going on and saying, look, by just putting this box, we can create a sort of sense of mystery and increase curiosity and keep people interested in the topic. And, and he was basically using an analogy, obviously in movie making, that you could use the same thing, same technique as... If you have something which is not revealed and hidden, that would drag people and make them and keep them interested. And I think we could do the same thing in, in course design, that you don't have to reveal everything up front, and then you can turn it into a story or a curiosity. For example, um, if you have a bunch of props, so you come to teach something, and you have a bunch of props, and you can put these props on a table, and you can cover them. So they're not seen, but this is like a you know, piece of clothes or something on it. And that immediately makes people interested. Oh, there's some activity going to happen in this course, and it's going to be some fun to have, you know? So, And that keeps them going. And then you can every now and then reveal a little bit of it, tell a story about it, and then use that like a tool to constantly keep people engaged as you go through.
0: Uh, that's brilliant. Thank you very much. And I suppose once once we've got their attention, one of the key things we need to do is keep that attention uh, manage distractions. That's right. uh, you, you talk about uh, in uh, course design strategy the load theory of attention. Right. Can, can you tell us a bit about that and how it applies to managing distractions please?
1: Sure yeah, absolutely. Um that's uh, that's a fascinating piece of research that carried out in this particular area and so I'd like to share that with you. Um, so it's basically like um when it comes to distractions um some researchers Forster and Lavi and they conducted a the research and the research was basically like this, that they um, got a bunch of subjects and they were going to show some uh, images on a screen. And they had to then press a key um, on the keyboard and then their response was going to be recorded in terms of timing. And what was shown on the screen was, for example, a letter. And this letter was among a bunch of other letters, and the bunch of other letters were sort of like uh, similar letters. So imagine a letter T being shown against a bunch of other O's or whatever. And so it was very clear to see. So the, the, there, were, there were basically two tasks. One task was the simple task, so you could see this letter T among a whole bunch of other similar letters. And then there was a hard task. So you could see the letter T among a bunch of other different letters. So it was more difficult to find them. So when they, when they experimented with the subjects, clearly the small task, the response time was uh, the, the, the easy task. The response time was uh, faster. And with the harder task, obviously the response time was slower. So uh, easy and hard. So the next thing they did was just to flash a distracting graphic art on the screen. And so this was, for example, like a clip art of a, or a dog or whatever. Um, so with the easy task, while the the subjects are trying to figure out what letter to press and the, the timing is being recorded, they just got flashed this distracting image. And then they, they recorded the times between the easy task and the hard task the same way. And what they found was fascinating. It was basically like this, that those people who had an easy task, they when the when the graphic was flashed to them, they they got slower. They they responded slower, and so therefore they struggled in a sense, and their performance dropped. While those people who were doing the harder task, when they were distracted with the with the image, they their performance did not change as much. So they carried on the same way. So the researchers basically carried uh, moved to, to to suggest the uh, load theory of attention to explain the situation. And this is quite fascinating in a sense that they basically suggested that we have a fixed amount of processing power available to us at a given time. And if we are fully loaded, and in other words, we are challenged enough, then when we are distracted, we don't have much spare processing power to pay attention to that distraction. And so therefore we carry on with the same performance. We sort of ignore that distraction. But what happens is that if you're not fully challenged and we have spare uh, processing power left in our our, um, minds, um, then when the distracting element comes in, it affects our performance and the performance drops. So as you can imagine, this has quite a lot of implications when it comes to course design. Um, The first one obviously is um, that if you're not fully loading, Um, their learners with a challenging task, then you can expect distractions to kick in. So that's the first step. But it becomes a lot more complex because you're not teaching one person. we are teaching a whole class. And so the class has different levels of skills. They have different levels of understanding. So the challenge is, therefore, to set the learners at a capacity, a sort of like an average capacity, or tailor the training in such a way that they're not going to get distracted. So this is what I always advocate in in training course design, that we can't come up with a fixed design and expect to get great results. We need to be very dynamic about it. We need to use what we call facilitation training in a sense. So we need to have tailored exercises. We need to get people to progress at their own pace as much as we can because of these elements. Um, As soon as you have a situation where the person is not challenged enough, they're either going to be distracted by elements in the room or become a distraction to other learners, uh, in turn, uh, by chatting with them or whatever. So it's, it's quite critical. The other aspect that I see is quite fascinating is that as it's quite dynamic. As people learn, they become more skilled in, in a particular topic. As they become more skilled, that particular skill becomes routine. As it becomes routine, they have more processing power they now become more susceptible to distractions. Um, so therefore, we need to always keep an eye on them to see if they are progressing. If they have basically reached a certain level, we need to push them further. If we are not on top of it, then distraction kicks in. So would are differentiating
0: the tasks that we're giving to each of the learners in the room or within our course. Is that a... An effective tool for managing that challenge uh, that you've just
1: described there. That's right. This it would it would help significantly um, to be able to do that. But it's not always um, it's not always easy to do that. You know, it's not like um, we can give. For example, if we have twenty students in a class, you can't get twenty different exercises all at different levels to them. So you have to use different techniques to sort of simulate this environment. Um, a, a great technique is to have. Um, to divide them into multiple groups and then you give groups um, different exercises and then you mix and match these groups as you go on so your aim is to put a weaker student and a strong student together and the weaker student Basically, takes the energy of the uh, the, the stronger student away from <laughs> the distractions, in a sense, because now that they they they're better at something, they go into sort of like a teaching style mode for the weaker student. So they get satisfied, they get to express what they have already learned, and the weaker student obviously gets the benefit of um, almost like parallel uh, learning. Uh, they learn from you and other. Uh, students as well, so we can maximize learning this way. So that's one of the techniques you could do. You could also come up with specific tailored exercises for students who are struggling at certain tasks, while giving more challenging um, exercises to those who are more advanced. So. If you, what you need to do is, I always say in course design, you need to have like a set of tools, a lot more than you can ever have for the given time that you have in your course. So then you can pick and choose these exercises and content as you go through. If you have, say, for example, if your course is half a day and you only have half a day to cover, that's not good enough because that's a very rigid way of handling it. You need to have almost twice as much, three times as much. So then you can say, okay, this person needs this. I'm going to give this set of exercises to them and so on. Terrific.
0: I just want to uh, take you back to something you mentioned there
1: when when I asked
0: about differentiation. You said, I think, that the, the better way to do it is to pair people up who have got, you know, someone with a lot of experience, someone with less experience. I think traditionally we might think about when we're grouping, grouping people of equal experience. Um, is can you tell tell us a little bit more about more. why you'd recommend that that model rather than you know the traditional that I would I would suggest we do currently?
1: Yeah. So it's um overall, I would say that it's not um I wouldn't say one or the other is the best method. I'm always yeah. an advocate of using all combinations. Um the more combinations we use, the better. Because at the end of the day, we want to maximize the learning. Now, we know, for example, if you put two people together and they have the same level, they can progress together, they can support each other. But if you have a situation where you put a weaker student and a stronger student together, then depending on the learning styles, this could actually help very well. So some learning styles, for example, um, some people talk learners. Um, In other words, they want to express what they have just learned verbally to the other person, almost like a soundboard. So they wanna say, yeah, well, this is how it works and so on. They need a buddy to exercise that. And if you have already learned something, if you assigned a student who hasn't quite got it, this sort of exchange can support both of them quite easily. So the person who is a talk learner who just can keep talking and express that, and the other person can also respond and learn from it. Um, if you put two strong people together, it could also work because then they can take it to the next level they can inspire each other challenge each other it almost becomes like a competition between them they can geek out in a sense <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so so you you have you have all combinations what i usually like is to mix and match the class um, and what i this has been like a question i always had like you know you have a class of people and then you, so you group them to twos or threes and then you run some exercises and then the next part I usually like to completely mix up the groups, so then people who haven't worked with each other get to work with each other again uh, in some new format. Um, and eventually, I was I was looking to see if if this can be automated. Um, so I have a good, I've got a tool now for it, and it's available on the website um, skillsconverge.com, and, and it's called Clock Buddies. Um, it comes from a traditional um, technique that was used in kindergartens actually, <laughs> <believe> <laughs> it or not. Um, it's basically like they used to have like, uh, a face of the clock with 12 positions and they would name, they would write the name of the, the kids on the, on the 12 positions. And then each of the kids would get one of these clocks and then the, the tutor could then call um, an hour on the clock and then the, the kids would look at the, the, the disks and we would know exactly who to go with. And the idea was that it would cover the combinations or pairwise combinations, uh, all the combinations that's possible in the class. Well, so the tool has started from there, but I've now taken it to the next level of having groups of twos, threes, fours, or five people. And then this obviously fits into the, to the whole field of combinatorics in mathematics and everything. But the tool is available for free on the website. So all you need to do is to put your the list of students. Into, into the system, and it gives you a series of disks, the, the same number as your students. You give these disks to your to students, and then if you call a particular, say, symbol, um, say alphabet symbol, A, B, C, D, they can look at their disks, and they know exactly who they need to go and work with. You could use it in, during the course, for example, when you're running exercises. You could use it, for example, when you're having assignments um, that they could do after the course. It could be even gamified if you want. Uh, it basically goes through all the combinations possible for a given number of groupings, for a given number of um, uh, students in a class.
0: Uh, terrific! That's that's brilliant. Thank you very much. Uh, we could talk about this for for ages, uh, but I think we've covered some of the really important parts about that starting piece of the course where you really want to grab energy, uh, grab attention, and and maintain people's energy so they are uh, they get really into the learning. So thank you, thank you very much for that, Ethan. It's been a fascinating look into some really critical areas that we uh, in the rugby in our training delivery workforce need to keep in mind to help our learners on course you mentioned your website there can you tell us where people can find out more about your work please
1: yeah sure i mean the best place is this is uh is the website skillsconverge.com. um i regularly write there as well in-depth trainer trainer uh, articles so if anybody's interested obviously you can you can come and uh, read my content and i have my contact details there as well you can find me on linkedin um and the books you mentioned, the training courses that you're you're familiar with are uh, all available. We also offer training materials. So if you, any of your trainers are interested to um, offer soft skills courses, you can grab the training materials um, and then you can edit and modify them based on your own specific domain and then use that in your training delivery.
0: Thanks so much. And thank you for your time, uh, Ethan. It's been, it's been really helpful for us. So we really appreciate that. And thank you for... Uh, for listening to this England Rugby Game Developers podcast.
1: Right. Thank you very much. Thank you much, David.